You are listening to a sermon by Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church in Escondido, California. For more information about New Life, visit us online at newlifepca.com. That's N-E-W-L-I-F-E-P-C-A dot com. We're in Acts, right? The Acts of the Apostles. The earliest record we have of the uh, church and how it got started and what they did in that first century. And we get so many valuable lessons from the first century that are helpful to us in the 21st century. As we open up Acts today, uh, Paul finds himself in Ephesus, that beautiful, uh, influential, cosmopolitan city on the coast of what is modern-day Turkey. Uh, Ephesus was much like a lot of Southern California, a veritable beehive of religions and spiritualities, uh, particularly the occult. Uh, Ephesus was known as, uh, as a center uh, of the occult. So there's a lot of dark stuff going on. And right there in the middle of all of this religious activity and spirituality going on, there's Paul. Uh, teaching every day, five hours a day, in the hall of Tyrannus. Uh, five hours a day, every day, two years. Uh, dialoguing, reasoning, persuading uh, the people of Ephesus about the truth of Jesus Christ. And it says that he, uh, because of that, all of Asia, which is, that was, that was the province of Asia in the Roman Empire, all of Asia had heard about Jesus. Uh, with, from Paul's work there. So here we are. We st- open up in Acts 19 now, uh, starting at verse 11. If you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, it, the text is printed for you in the worship folder if you want to follow along there. This is God's word. And God was doing extraordinary miracles. God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, guide us now by your word and by your Holy Spirit, so that in your light, we might see light and in your truth find freedom and in your will discover peace. We pray these things 
through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. Well, if you wanted to sort of distill the theme of this uh, section of Scripture down to one word, it would be power. It starts with power, it ends with power. It's all about power, and, and the reality is you and I want power. And I'm not saying that you want to be a dictator, or saying that you, you, know, you, you, you must be the CEO so you can order people around. I'm saying at some level, uh, you want the ability to produce a desired outcome in your own life. You, more specifically, you want to have the means to solve your problems. So do I. I want to have the power to solve my problems, whatever those problems might be. But that power continues to resist us, doesn't it? And we know that because our problems persist. Uh, Not just at an individual level, but at a family level, and a uh, church level, a state level, national level, world level. We've got problems, we've got hardships, we've got persecutions. We don't seem to have the power to overcome them. But we do, you know. Christianity makes a stupendous claim. Uh, Christianity claims uh, that, really, that Jesus is the answer to all your problems. Now that may sound simplistic, uh, but it, it, it really is true. And I, and I, and I urge you to, to, to listen with an open mind. It's, it's what the Bible calls the gospel, right? The good news, the essential announcement of, of Christianity, that God, out of his great love for the world, uh, in, intervened in human history by sending his son Jesus into our world, who lived a holy life for your resume. Who, who died uh, a justice-satisfying death so that uh, your, your sins could be forgiven and you would not be punished for them, was raised from the dead to, to demonstrate that he had defeated for you uh, the ultimate problem of sin and the death that sin brings. And he did that by rising from the graves. And, and you possess all of that. You, you appropriate what Jesus accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection by, by trusting in him. Humble, simple trust in Jesus Christ, submitting your life to him, honoring him, uh, obeying him as the supreme king uh, of the world and of your life. Now understand what I'm saying here, right? I'm not saying that become a Christian and all your problems magically go away. Uh, that, would, that would be wonderful, but it's, that's not what I, I'm saying. Jesus isn't the answer to your problems in that way, uh, at least on this side of, uh, of glory, right? What, what, what the gospel does is give you... Uh, as a believer in Jesus, the resources to understand your problems, to put them into context, to deal with them, to not be undone by them, to be content and at peace in the midst of them, to know that they will ultimately be resolved for your good completely uh, on the last day. So for example, you know, it, it's, it's what it is, is you take the gospel, 
You take the essential message of the gospel and you begin to think out its implications for whatever you're facing. And as you begin to think out the gospel and its implications, you begin to see your problems sort of falling into, into place, into a place where they are, they are manageable and not a source of fear. So, for example, if your problem is, is rooted in fear of what others think and say about you, and for a lot of us, that's, that's our, our problems are, are, are right there, right? That fear of man. The gospel says, well, listen to what Jesus says about you. Right? Rest in the reality that you are loved and forgiven and accepted by the living God because of Jesus. If your problem is cancer, some of you have that. Cancer beyond the reach of medicine. The gospel says trust in Jesus who has the power to heal you in life or through death. I mean, it is not too much to say that Jesus Christ, by his death and resurrection, really converted dying into ultimate healing. If your problem is that one of your children has run off to a far country, away from you, away from the faith, The gospel reminds you that Jesus Christ is the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep and runs after the one, tracking down the one, and is the shepherd who will bring in his sheep. You can trust the good shepherd to do the right thing as you rest in him. Kids, if you've got a bully at school who's pushing you around, calling you names, calling you a loser... Wrong. Remember, the gospel calls you to remember that Jesus is with you and that those names that that bully is calling you are not who you are. You are no loser in Jesus Christ. You are his beloved child and no bully is going to change that. So, If that's true, if the gospel is, as we think through its implications, really the answer to all of our problems, uh, why then do so many Christians, why, maybe you, me, why, why why do I so often look no different from people who aren't Christians? Why are so many Christians walking around defeated, depressed, discouraged, discontented, and afraid because of the hardships and problems of our lives. One answer, let me suggest one answer here, is that, is that we might be living out our faith, not so much like the Apostle Paul lived out his faith, uh, but more like the seven sons of Sceva, which is not a, uh, uh, a, um, a metal band. Sort of sounds like a metal band, doesn't it? <laughs> the Seven Sons of Sceva. That would, that would be a good band name. Um, let's look at the Seven Sons of Sceva under three headings. Uh, I really want to focus on them. Uh, profit, presumption, and peril. Okay? Profit, presumption, and peril. First, profit. Um, by profit, I mean that the Sons of Sceva were, were in the game, were in this... Uh, religion game 
were invoking the name of Jesus for their own gain, for their own ends, right? They were, verse 13, Jewish itinerant exorcists. They had a ministry of casting out evil spirits from people. They would go around, uh, sort of like, uh, you know, circuit judges, go around from town to town, casting out evil spirits for a fee. That's how they made their living. And they saw that Paul was having some amazing success. Luke says that God was doing, even for for apostles, extraordinary miracles, Uh, right? right? All they had to do was touch a handkerchief or an apron that that had touched Paul's skin. And and evil spirits uh, were were cast out of people, right? And and so these seven sons of Sceva saw that and go, well, man, you know, this, uh, maybe we can use Jesus too. Um, so they, 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 they were using Jesus for their own purpose, in this case, a business purpose. Now, this is probably not you, uh, but, but think about how people might do this today. I, I remember years ago when, um, when some of my non-Christian colleagues commended me, non-Christian colleagues at my law firm, commended me when they found out I was a member of a church in Newport Beach, and they weren't commending me for my spirituality or for my, the, the sincerity of my faith. They commended me for being a member of this church in Newport Beach because it was known as a wealthy church. There were a lot of wealthy people in that church, and they were commending me because they said, man, if you play your cards right, you can turn some of those wealthy people into clients. They really said that. Now, if if that was really why I was at that church, I'd be like a son of Sceva, right? I'd be in, in it for my own gain. How about the about the man or the woman who, who comes to church uh, really for the main purpose of finding a marriage partner. Or, or the, the person who, who, uh, who, who hooks up with the church because they've got an immediate pressing problem and I need this problem solved. Whether that's, you know, could be anything. From anxiety to babysitting. Right? I need a problem solved. Look, the gospel will definitely help you with anxiety. It'll help you with depression. And the church may even be able to, to help you with babysitting and, and, and finding a marriage partner. But if that's why you're in it, if that's why you are here, right? then you... you if that's why you take on the name of Jesus, you've missed the point. I, I remember it, there's a great New Life story. It's a number of years ago now, a Marine uh, officer uh, had, was starting to come to New Life. And he would come some weeks, he'd be gone some weeks, and I discovered that he was, he was looking for a wife. And, uh, and uh, he really loved New Life and loved the, the, the teaching of new life, and uh, but he really loved the singles group at another church, where, where the odds were much better. Um, and uh, so he was really struggling, uh, and he 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 had sort of had this this internal struggle, and finally said, "You know, 
I'm, I don't go to church to find, yeah, that's not why I go to church. I go to church to, to worship the Lord Jesus and, and this is where I can worship the Lord Jesus more. So he, so, so he decides I'm gonna go to new life. And, and first Sunday after he makes that resolution, he comes early, he's sitting right over there, middle of the aisle, uh, middle of the row, and he's sitting there, he's reading the text, he's praying, and uh, I'm, I'm walking through, it's early, and, and, a, and a beautiful young woman comes in and sits down in the same row. And I see him wake up, you know, get up from, he's, he's been praying, he opens his eyes and he looks over, and he told me later, he said, really, Lord? <laughs> they ended up getting married. I married him. It's awesome. Uh, so I'm right. I'm not saying that that you know you're not going to get these kinds of benefits from church. But that's it's if if you come for that benefit solely. I mean, if that's what it's all about, then you, you, you've missed uh, the point, right? Jesus said he came to not to uh, not to be served, but to serve, right? And he did, and he served us how? By, by giving his life as a ransom for many. Uh, but na- but, that, and, and, but ha- now having done that, right, now it's on us to serve him, right? In gratitude, we serve the Lord Jesus for how he, has ser- how he served us by going to the cross, so, right? So we don't come to church to make the living God of the, you don't come to church, to make the living God of the universe your personal assistant. In his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? Seek Jesus as king. Seek his reign over every area of your life. Seek his character. And he goes on to say, and then all these things, and by all these things, he means food and clothing and anything else you want to throw in there. Marriage partners, peace, whatever. Uh, All these things will be added to you. It's a question of what's, what's, where's the priority? Where's the emphasis? Where's the focus? I love the way Eugene Peterson phrased it in in the message. He says, uh, this is Matthew 6.33, steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. It's true. So the sons of Sceva really force us to ask ourselves, right, are you serving Jesus? Am I serving Jesus or am I trying to get Jesus to serve me? My agenda. And you know, sometimes I have to answer that the wrong way. It's, it's easy to flip back and to, and, to try, and to make Jesus, try to make Jesus uh, my personal assistant. And then... You know, uh, and then I repent and, 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 and come right, right? Otherwise, I will be disappointed, and so will you. So that's prophet, right? The seven sons of Sceva got into this, invoked the name of Jesus for their own gain. And there are ways we can do that too, and we just have to watch and make sure that we're not doing it, and where we're doing it, that we repent from it. Second thing, presumption. And this is closely related, um, Look at verse 13 again. It says that the seven sons of Sceva undertook 
to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus. See that phrase there? The Greek word that's translated undertook really has the sense of um, uh, giving it a try. Let's give it a try. Let's test it out and see if it works. That's, kind, that's sort of the sense of the word. Um, it's, you, you know, you've experienced this, right? When you, nowadays, when you get hired in a new job, uh, you typically get hired on probation, right? The employer is in effect saying to you, okay, we'll try you out. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll give you three months and, and see if you work out. And if you do, great. If you don't, you're gone. And that's the attitude that the seven sons of Sceva brought to Jesus. They presumed that they were in the driver's seat when it came to Jesus. Well, just, we'll just give them a go here. Let's see if it works. If it doesn't, you know, no harm, no foul, we'll move on. That's a massive presumption, right, on, on the Lord Jesus. And people still do it today. If you've talked, been talking about your faith with your friends, you've probably come across friends or acquaintances who will say something like, I've tried Christianity and it didn't work for me. Right? So I've moved on. That's, that's kind of what the sons of Sceva were saying. Well, let's just try Jesus. If it doesn't work, we'll move on. I, there's so many errors in that kind of approach to Jesus, that it, it's, let me just give you four. I'll just highlight four real errors with this kind of approach to Jesus. First, you know, you and I aren't in a position to pick up and lay down Jesus, right? He's, he's the one who picks you up. Paul said it brilliantly, right? I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has already taken hold of me. Right. Everything we do as Christians is responsive to what Jesus Christ has already done. Try to drop Jesus. You can't. You're in his grip. He's holding you. A Christian who has, is one who's been before anything else taken hold of by Jesus, overwhelmed by his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy. Second, the issue isn't whether Christianity works for you. Do you see how presumptuous that, presumptive that is? Presumptuous? Ah, it doesn't work for me. The issue isn't whether it works for you. The issue is whether it's true. If it's true, you need to bend your life around it and base your life on it. If it's not true, forget about it. But if it's true, you need to, you need to deal with it whether it works for you or not. And it will work for you. It just may not work for you in the short term. It may not give you what you want right now, but it will give you something better. You know, to say Christianity doesn't work for you is like saying gravity doesn't work for you. Right? It's, it's right? Gravity is here. It's all around us. It's part of where we live, right? It's, it's, uh, you have to deal with gravity. 
It's the same way you've got to deal with God. It's in him, as Paul said in Acts. In him we live and move and have our being. The Lord Jesus is true. He's real. Right? We have to deal with him, whether it's convenient or not, whether you think it works or not. Third thing. This this kind of presumption on Jesus, well, we'll just give it a try, sort of reduces faith to a transaction. It reduces Christian faith, which is pretty simple. It's just humble trust in Jesus Christ and what he's done. But instead, what it's doing is it's reducing it to a bargain, right? If I say the right things, and if I do the right things, then Jesus Christ has to do the right thing by me, right? That's not Christian faith, that's paganism. You can't put Jesus Christ in your debt. You can't bargain Jesus into performing your agenda. Faith is not performing so that Jesus will perform for you. Faith is trusting in the prior performance of Jesus. His saving of you through his life, death, and resurrection. Okay, fourth. You know, it's... This whole thing, if Christianity doesn't work for me, or, you know, it, I don't think it works for me, so I'm going to move on, really reveals a, a fundamental worship problem, right? Were the sons of Sceva, in invoking the name of Jesus, were they worshiping Jesus? Were they ascribing ultimate worth to Jesus? Of course not. What were they worshiping? They were worshiping what they were using the name of Jesus for, Right? Money. Today, when someone tells you, I tried Christianity, it didn't work for me, the right response is no. That, that what you just said, reveals to me that you have not tried Christianity. What you have done is tried to use Jesus to get what you really worship. Whether that's a family or a, a spouse or children or peace or wealth, whatever it is, that's what you're worshiping and you've just tried to make Jesus your agent to achieve those things. And since you haven't achieved them, you're walking away. Right? A Christian is one who has Jesus at the center of his affections, who, who shapes his or her life around the person of Jesus, not trying to get Jesus to shape uh, her life or his life like they want it to be shaped. Now, listen, I, I, you know, I say all of these things and, and, you know, and distressingly, I find myself falling into all of these errors at one point or another, right? It's, we, we are in process and, and, uh, and, uh, as Psalm, I was reading Psalm 119 the other day, and, it, and, and it, it's, the, the psalmist is crying about the fact that his soul clings to the dust. My soul clings to the dust. I mean, right? I'm always going back to the dust. I'm always moving off what I know is right and what I know is best for me and going after secondary things. Going after dust going after the things of the world rather than Jesus, who will give me the things that I need if I go after him. Okay, so that's presumption. So prophet, presumption, right? If, if you're living to 
you know, if you're using Jesus to pursue your own ends, if you're presuming on Jesus, right, as if he's your, your executive assistant that has to work for you, uh, the, the end result is you're going to be in peril, serious peril. And that's the last point. Um, these seven sons of Sceva approach this demon-possessed man. Uh, and and the, 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 it's really a cinematic scene, isn't it? Uh, you can see how Hollywood would really probably mess it up. But, uh, right? it, because the demon is the one speaking. When the seven sons of Sceva say, you know, I adjure you by uh, the name of, uh, the, of, the, of Jesus whom Paul preaches, um, it's, it's not the man who answers, it's the demon who uses the man's vocal cords to answer. And he says a very chilling thing, right, at verse 15. Jesus I know, the demons know the Lord and tremble. Paul I recognize, they know that Jesus has Paul in his grip and they have to deal with Paul and they're afraid of Paul. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize, but who are you? Literally, literally the Greek says, Jesus I know, Paul I recognize, but you, who are you? And then this poor possessed man with the strength of the demon Right. Think about the Gadarene demoniac, the, 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 who, that poor man in, in the country of the Gadarenes who had, was possessed by a demon and as a result had a strength beyond human strength, right? would break chains and bust rocks and um, that kind of thing. So, so this demon, uh, this man with the strength of the demon in him overpowers these seven men and they run out of the house naked and bleeding. Uh, it's a pretty straightforward lesson here. And I, let me just tell you how Dennis Johnson puts it. Our own Dennis Johnson. Some, some, most, a lot of you may not know Dennis. Dennis was a pastor here for years. He was a seminary professor. He was an expert on the book of Acts. Uh, so it's good that he's not here while I'm preaching through the book of Acts. Um, and uh, he, he's, uh, he's retired, moved to Tennessee. But I, here's what he said. Uh, is sort of distilled the lesson of what happened to the sons of Sceva. Uh, he says, those who try to combat the powers of evil through techniques and stratagems of power rather than through humble trust in the Jesus preached by Paul will find themselves beaten by an enemy far stronger and more cunning than they. That's... That's well said, right? Psalm 118, you, you, you hear my, my references to these psalms I've been reading. Psalm 118 says it is, um, it's, it's better uh, to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in human beings. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. You know. What do we do? We trust in our own power and our own strength to deal with our sin, to deal with spiritual oppression, to deal with uh, all our problems and hardships. Or we turn to, uh, you know, presidents or politicians who, who, who may say the right things and wave a Bible around like the sons of Sceva, but aren't actually submitted to the Lord Jesus. And if we're depending on that, 
Don't be surprised if you wake up and find yourself naked and bleeding. It reminds me of Jesus' rebuke of believers uh, in Laodicea, right? The church in Laodicea, Jesus addresses in Revelation 3. He's talking to believers and he's criticizing them because they've become lukewarm, right? Lukewarm in their faith in, in Jesus, lukewarm in their understanding of their own sin, in their understanding of their deep need of Jesus' salvation. Instead, they've become kind of spiritually proud and, and they, they're saying, you know, we're good, we're good. Man, we're, you know, Jesus is lucky to have us on the team. We're rich, we're, we're prospering, we're, we don't need anything. But Jesus says, you know what? You may not know it, but you really are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He's saying that to believers. And kind of like the sons of Sceva, right? And what does Jesus tell them to do? He says, be zealous in repentance. You zealously turn back to me, right? Come back to me in dependent, simple, humble Faith, submissive faith and trust. And he says, and you know, if you do that, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have problems. Because that simple faith, which is the key, he said, I am going to refine like, I, like gold is refined by fire. And, and, and what refines our faith, what strengthens and hardens and, and our, our faith, are hardships, problems, difficulties. You know, the Psalms say that the Lord is our help and our shield. You know, if if God is your shield, you you know, that's a that's a 100% effective protection. You know, if the Lord is your shield, then then why you ask, well, then why am I do so many problems come into my life? Because there, there are some times when the Lord looks at you and says, you know. Ted's faith needs a little flabby, needs some strengthening, and he sort of tilts the shield, lets an arrow in, right? Uh, if, if a problem, a hardship, a persecution comes in through the shield, that means God meant it to come in, right? Um, and this is another way the gospel empowers us to handle problems, right? What, 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 what this is saying is that our problems and hardships here aren't, aren't out of God's control. They aren't without purpose, but that God himself allows them into our lives to make us strong and mature in him, to make us safe in him by our simple grown-up faith. You know, it's interesting that the, it was the failure of Jesus' name, right? This, was a, this is an example of a failed miracle, right? It was the failure of the name of Jesus to cast out the demon here that led to a mass confession and repentance of believers, right? This was a, 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 a sort of a renewal event, not so much an evangelistic event, uh, the believers saw this happening, right? And, and uh, they knew. What, why did this lead to a great confession and repentance among believers when the Sons of Sceva event? 
Well, first of all, they knew that, that the Lord they believed in was stronger than any spirit around in Ephesus, right? Which is why, one of the reasons why, certainly, why God was performing these, what, he, what even Luke called, out of the ordinary miracles uh, for an apostle, uh, right? This, the handkerchief thing and the apron thing. Uh, he's showing Ephesus, which was impressed by miracles, impressed by magic, impressed by what the dark spirits could do. Uh, G, uh, the, God is saying, look, if you want to compete on that level, I'll show you, I can beat you there, there, easy, right? Uh, so, so they know, they've been reminded that Jesus is, is this incredibly powerful God, but they've also been reminded that he's so incredibly powerful, so majestic, so awesome, that he will not be used. He will not be presumed upon. He will not be manipulated. They realize, these believers did, that any God that powerful, that holy, that majestic, one we answer to, not who answers to us, a God who in that, took that majestic holiness and majesty and surrendered it to become human and die for us out of his love for us. That is a God who demands undivided loyalty. You don't hedge your bets with, the God, with a God like that. That's spiritual polygamy. You trust him alone. And that's why the believers in Jesus brought, what did they bring out? These, these are Christians. And they're bringing out magic books. Now what these were, were the, 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 uh, they were what Ephesus was famous for. They either scrolls or bound volumes of spells and incantations. And, you know, so you didn't like somebody, you could give them a spell. You wanted, you, wanted, uh, you know, something good to happen, you'd pronounce an incantation. Christians were doing these things. Uh, and, and, so, and that's why they brought out those magic books and burned them. It was a voluntary confession of sin. We have been trusting in something else besides Jesus. Something else in addition to Jesus uh, for power, for satisfaction, for meaning. And it was a public demonstration of repentance, a commitment to Jesus alone. So friends, I ask you, I ask myself, is there, do you ha is there something in your life you need to throw on the fire? Right? Maybe it's a, is there something that's, that's getting in the way of your, your trusting in Jesus alone? Maybe it's a, a critical, unforgiving spirit. Maybe it's, a, it's a, a relationship you know isn't right. Maybe it's pornography. I don't know what it is. You know, examine your heart and, and turn to the Lord Jesus zealously. He will embrace you. He will honor your repentance. He will forgive you. This is Jesus, right? The God who's ready to forgive, gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And if you doubt that, look at the cross. Right? That's him dying to forgive you. That's our Jesus. Right? Go to him, find rest for your souls, find real protection, real refuge from the peril of evil. Not just the evil in your own heart, but the evil out there in our culture, right? The Lord will protect you from the world, the flesh, and the devil. He is the answer.
Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this uh, crazy story about the sons of Sceva and what we learn from them. Uh, thank you for your love, for your forgiveness for us. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been like the sons of Sceva and help us to be committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Ted Hamilton, Senior Pastor of New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido. Please visit us in Escondido, California, or online at newlifepca.com. New Life Presbyterian Church, Escondido, reserves all copyrights as applicable by law. Thank you for listening.